Hello, welcome to When Songs Mean Business. I'm your host, Steph Belcher. Today, I am talking to Sineda Ng, a musician who is working on so many cool projects that I am still trying to wrap my brain around a few of our topics here. Sineda is a sound architect, creative entrepreneur, and futurist. Through her work as a conscious artist and thinker, she explores the intersection between art and emerging technologies. Classically trained in piano, she's performed at prestigious concert halls, music festivals across North America, including Carnegie Hall, and she has won multiple national and international music competitions. She currently attends the Clive Davis Institute of Recorded Music at NYU. She's the founder and CEO of MySynth, a music tech startup, and Sineda has released two EPs and is currently working on her first full-length NFT album, The Nothing In Between. Check the show notes to follow Sineda on social media. And as always, please give us a follow on Instagram at When Songs Mean Business. If you want to support the podcast, check out our Patreon page in the show notes. For as little as $1 a month, you can get access to bonus content, worksheets, video episodes, and occasional workshops. You will also get first access to new courses as they launch. If you want to help us out without a financial commitment, please share this episode and rate us on Apple or Spotify. All right, let's dive into When Songs Mean Business. Sineda, thank you so much for joining me today. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm really excited to chat with you. I love having young people on the podcast. Anybody who grew up in a different generation than I did has such an interesting take on the world compared to my own. So I'm really excited to chat with you. Where are you coming from today? I am currently in Brooklyn. Uh, I live in live and work in New York City, uh, and I go to school at NYU right now. Awesome. How's that going for you? It's been great. This is my fourth semester. I love New York City. It's so beautiful. I've been able to meet so many amazing people, peers, mentors, advisors, friends here. So yeah, I love it. That's cool. You're at NYU? Yes. That's great. And and the Clive Davis School? Yes, the Clive Davis Institute of Recorded Music. And we learn a lot about music business. So yeah. That's great. Are you taking production classes? Yes. Yeah. My main focus is production and technology, but we do take classes in everything from business to songwriting, performance, a bit of everything. Great. That's great. Are you a performer as well? I took a break from performing a while ago, but I am starting to get back into it. So I might be doing a few DJ sets soon. Oh, cool. Yeah. That's fun. And you write songs, right? Yes, I do write songs. I was looking at your YouTube channel right before I popped in here. I was listening to Maybe I Miss You. Is that what it's called? Yes. Yeah, yeah I like that, that was, one. Thank you. Yeah, that was from my second album. Uh, last night was the last night of my past life. I wrote that when I moved here to New York City. Uh, and it's sort of reminiscent of just the whole moving to a new city by yourself kind of experience. That's cool. Where did you move from? I moved from Toronto, Canada. I grew up there my whole life. I was born there. So I've never really lived anywhere besides Canada. So New York has been a really interesting exploration for me. I can imagine. I've actually, I haven't spent any time in Toronto. What are some of the big differences that you notice between the two cities? Well, I always like to tell people that Toronto is sort of 
a smaller version of New York. In yeah. New York, we have all the clubs, the concerts, everything is always happening. And in Toronto, in a way, it's kind of like that too, but more concentrated in the downtown area. Gotcha. The music scene there is nice, could be better. I didn't find it to be what I was looking for. There's a lot of people who I know go to Toronto to you know make a music career and it's yeah. a great city to meet people. Yeah. Sean Mendez is from Toronto, right? Yes. Sean Mendez is from Toronto. I know a friend who lived next to him. <laughs> um, oh my yeah. God. <laughs> <laughs> I, I need a minute. Yeah. I like Sean Mendez. <laughs> He's great. I saw him at the Air Canada Center. Did you? So That's the big ago. one, right? Yes. Yeah. Is that the when they filmed that movie? Was that it? Uh, they were filming a documentary of when he released the wonder I was before that wow. it was like this was like stitches handwritten oh my god era <laughs> like old school Sean Mendez nice yeah watching his vine videos oh my god <laughs> yes yeah so I feel like Canada has such an amazing educational music program run through the school system I've heard other musicians like Alessia Cara and White Horse. And uh, we get CBC radio. I'm in Detroit and we get CBC radio uh, yeah. from Windsor. So I hear uh, a lot of like Rich Turfry and, you know, Julie Ms. What's her name? Julie Ms. Raha, something like that. I don't know. But they talk, they like tell all these amazing stories about all their Canadian artists. And I love diving into that culture. It seems yes. like a different a different style of... Um... It kind of is. Yeah, people don't really notice the difference. Like a lot of the time when we think of Canada and America, it's kind of the same. But I do hear the difference in the music and just the style and the way that people come at it. I think it. I think there is something kind of different about it. And that's, that's special. I like that. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about your upbringing in music. When did you first start playing? Yeah, I started playing piano at the age of four. And of course, my parents are Chinese, so they got me into it. I had to take piano lessons. But from a very young age, I it became my whole life. Uh, I would practice for hours a day. And eventually, I started going to competitions um, when I was six. And I got onto that competition circuit, did a lot of international, national competitions. And at the age of 13, I think I did my first national competition. So it was a lot of, back then, it was a lot of getting to know the techniques, theory, practicing, the work ethic behind music, which I think is probably the most important thing you'll learn as a child if you're doing music, uh, is that work ethic. Because that carries on to whatever you decide to end up doing in music, whether or not that's playing an instrument. What's one uh, work ethic piece of advice that sticks out to you as maybe something you heard when you were young or something you've learned along the way that you can share with us? Like, how do you stay motivated? <laughs> I love the quote that goes, it takes, it takes a thousand hours to master something. Is that yeah, I think it's 10,000, 10,000 hours. hours to master mm -hmm. something. And I really believe in that because 
I mean, if I think about the times I've played piano, it's probably added up close to that. And anything else I decide to do, whether that's producing now or even learning new instruments, which I love doing, I approach it with that same kind of aim to get to 10,000 hours, metaphorically. <laughs> sure, sure, yeah. But yeah, I think it's it's really important to just be passionate about what you're doing. You know, I feel like everyone talks about passion for the arts, but I think of it as being an artist is a way of life. It's not about the art that I'm making, but I myself am the artist and my life is the art. And what I'm doing as an artist is translating my life experiences into a medium of art of my choice. And for me, that's music. And so the music is reflective of my life. And the first thing that comes in that process is to live your life and to be in the moment. So that's what motivates me. Oh, I love that. That's such good advice. So as you, you know, were going through these national, international competitions, was it always piano or did you start to pick up other instruments? Yeah, I always competed with piano, but later on in elementary school, I started playing in concert band. So I went to an art school and I <laughs> played the French horn. Oh, cool. uh, was I not. Love- I love the French horn. <laughs> it has such a beautiful tone. Yes. Well, my mom thought differ. She thought it sounded like farts. Um, and so she did not let me play the French horn after one year. Um, and I switched, <laughs> I switched to alto saxophone and I continued to do band uh, outside of school. And then later on, I picked up like a bunch of other wind instruments just so I could teach at summer camps. And then I ended up in the percussion section. I ended up playing piano and percussion in concert band for kind of the end of high school. It's cool. My husband's a drummer and I keep telling him that he would be really good at piano if he just tried, but he is stuck on in the mindset that he doesn't know how to read music. And (laughs) and I'm like, well, you haven't really tried, honey. Like you're 42 years old. Let's just, if you put your mind to it, I'm sure you can figure it out. (laughs) Yeah. Common percussion problems. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Right. So do you fluently read music? Like, are you able to just sight yes. read, sit down yeah. and everything? Did that, is that something that came naturally to you or did you have to teach yourself to do it? No, no. I, this is interesting because I, when I first started learning piano, I used the Suzuki method. Have you heard of that? Well, I have, but tell, tell our listeners yes, what it is. for sure. So the Suzuki method is learning through listening. And so rather than learning how to read notes first, you would listen to uh, the CD, for example, of the book and all the songs on it. So in the car, I remember when I was like four or five, my dad would always play the, the CD on repeat in the car. And that was the way I learned how to play those songs just by listening. So I'd say my ears are pretty good. And at that time, I did not read music at all. Like people would, I would have my teacher or my parents tell me what the notes were and I could just play it by ear. And wow. obviously, after, yeah, after a few years, that didn't really work because you actually do have to read music. To yeah, play. it starts to get technical. Yeah, yeah, it starts to get harder. And so that's when I started learning. And that was a struggle, actually. At the beginning, for many years, I could not read music and I was really frustrated. My sight reading was terrible. And so as I went into, I think it was high school when I really started to focus on sight reading, I was like, I really want to get this skill down because I feel like it's something I'll need in the future. Yeah. As opposed to like, you know, playing by ear. I don't play by ear that much anymore, but sight reading is still something I have to do. And so I started doing sight reading exercises, just like taking those books and doing pr- like practices, exercises every day. 
and that works. It's slow, but it, you start to be able to read it. It's just like reading a language. I, so, it, it really is just like yeah. reading a language. Yeah. And there's like some math involved, I think, or patterns. Yeah. Even. Yeah. I, spotting certain, like what direction the notes are going in and knowing mm-hmm. kind of like modally or quarterly where it's going mm-hmm. helps. Yeah. I learned how to read music first, but I always had a really hard time with key staying, like not staying in key. Cause I can hear when I'm dropping, mm-hmm. you know, falling out of key, but I had a really hard time memorizing which key was which. So when I would look at it, I would have to like circle all those yeah. sharp, circle, all the flats and like, try to like figure out which key it was in. But now I just have them kind of memorized almost like, yeah. I can just sit down and play around. D major is my favorite key. And so oh, sometimes, yeah. I mean, it's just key. like so beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> Do you ever teach lessons? Do you? <laughs> I used to teach piano. I'm not going to lie. I don't really like kids, but props to you for handling all your kids. Like that's incredible. Well, but... there it's, it's a lot. It's a lot. Sometimes sure. I don't like kids too. <laughs> yeah. So I don't teach anymore. <laughs> I actually tried to go when I was like, not sure if I wanted to work in music right after I got out of college. I tried to get a teaching certificate for early education. And I was like, no, (laughs) I went and I like did like a weekly student teaching type thing in a kindergarten. And I was like, I cannot, this is not for me, (laughs) but now I teach college. And I like that because college students are like adults. It's different. It's definitely, it requires a certain amount of patience to teach early childhood. Yeah. They're like saints. (laughs) Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about how you got involved with technology. Yeah. I'm well, really intrigued by that. Like where to start? I well, okay, so my dad works as an IT consultant. He runs his own company and he has been for the past 20 years. Uh, cool. basically like for my whole life, I've seen him run his own company. And that's what I grew up around. I grew up around helping him. We would uh, he would take me to his clients sometimes. And I was always surrounded by technology growing up, but I never really saw myself going into it. Even from a young age, I saw myself going into music. You know, that was what I was passionate about. I That was the only thing I could really see myself doing. And up until coming to college, I was really focused on making music. But of course, like with discovering Logic and DAWs and all the kind of music hardware that is out there, that helped me to get be more open to technology. And it was really when I came to NYU uh, in my first semester, I took a class called Our Friends Electric with Professor Errol Colasine. And he taught us a lot about emerging technologies and how they could impact the future, not just the music industry, but all industries, our lifestyles. And so I was really interested in this class And at the end of the class, we had to do a final project, which was to take one of these emerging technologies and apply it to field or industry that we see an application in. And I, at the time, was particularly interested in Neuralink, Elon Musk's Neuralink. Wait, tell us what that is real quick. Yeah, so the Neuralink is a brain-computer interface implant that Elon Musk has been working on. And essentially, they implant a chip into your skull and it's able to read the electromagnetic pulses, your brain waves. Yeah, they got 
Yes, they got a monkey to play Pong with its mind what? Um, a while ago, yeah. But no there's, a lot of, there's a, lot of, a lot of other problematic things about Neuralink that I suggest people look up for themselves. Uh, you know, I, I don't really recommend, I don't recommend getting a Neuralink implant right now because it is quite problematic, but you know. Yeah, it's interesting that it's even happening though. Yeah, it is. And it's very futuristic, which is why a lot of people have been very interested in this. And so was I, right? So I took this technology and I was like, what could we use it for as a musician? And as a producer, I always have a lot of trouble looking for specific sounds that I want. For example, if I'm making a song and I have like this kick drum in my head, I want like a really hard, dry kick drum. And I'll go into splice or I'll go into my sample packs and click through every single kick drum until I can find one that sort of sounds like the one that I want. But I I was thinking, what if you could just imagine that kick drum sound and have it recreated? Because at the end of the day, all of these sounds are synthesized sounds. They're all built using the same synthesizer engines. And so if we're able to decode what the mind is imagining, then we can just tell the synthesizer, the computer to program and recreate that sound. So, okay. I have a whole bunch of questions, but I want to finish the story first. So you had this idea for in the project in class. Yes. Yes. And what happened next? I did the presentation. It was a fictional business proposal. So I created a presentation on um, what would become my synth uh, and presented it to the class. And then as I was doing research, I realized that a lot of the pieces to the puzzle that I was looking for were already there. Like there was people doing research on this topic. And then there was the hardware component that other researchers were working on to commercialize. And then I saw that nobody was really putting these pieces together and seeing how they like this research could actually be applied to a commercial product. And that's when I decided to actually formalize my synth as a venture. And our mission is to bridge the gap between brain computer interfaces and musical technology softwares. So interesting. Yeah. So how does it connect to your brain? Right now, we're working mainly with wearables instead of um, actually implanting yeah. a chip into your brain, which <laughs> is quite scary, I will admit. Yeah, um, I'm there terrified, are, but yeah. <laughs> yes, there are other wearable companies outside right now. There's one company called Neurable. They're working on something that looks like uh, headphones that can oh. read your EEG brain signals. There's also ones like Muse, um, which is for meditation, Emotive, OpenBCI. There's a bunch that are out there right now. And um, within the next 10, 20 years, we're really going to see an increase in brain-computer interfaces. Because if we think about our smartphones right now, the way we interact with our smartphones is very much, I see it, and then I have to like click on it and interact with it. And that's not really accessible to everyone either. I have an uncle who is blind, who recently, yeah, he recently went underwent surgery, and now he's blind. And realizing that there's a lot of things that even though he has his smartphone is still he's still not able to do and that's a common problem for a lot of people who can't necessarily interact with their phones and so brain computer interfaces i definitely see them becoming more popular as the technology becomes more advanced even to the point where like everyone might have one in the future instead of a cell phone you just imagine things whatever like with glasses with your ar glasses and everything's just in front of you oh man Ah, uh, that it's such a big thought that it's almost overwhelming, to be honest, because it <laughs> seems like we're starting a whole other world, you know, like 
anything that you can imagine can just happen. So many ideas rush into my head, like, well, we could do this, but we could do that. But what about this? You know, and like, uh, what are some downsides to this? To the metaverse in general? Yeah. Um, and like, you know, using your brain waves in this way, like, what does the research say about putting that kind of technology, like so close to your brain? And is the research coming up with any possible uh, negative effects to it physically? That's an interesting question. I feel like as this technology becomes more adopted, we'll see more research going into that. Like, mm. just like how as cell phones became more popular, people began to realize, like, for example, social media is very dangerous. Even the radioactivity coming from your phone is yeah. harmful to your physical body, right? So I definitely think there will be more research going into it. But in just in broader terms of what the metaverse, uh, downfalls of the metaverse, I mean, right now, we already see that people are less connected because of their cell phones. So there could always be the possibility of people becoming super disconnected. But at the same time, I also see this as a tool for people to connect deeper with one another. Because if you're able, imagine if you're able to hear someone else's brain waves and understand their brain state and their thoughts mm. and really kind of neural feedback, like what they're actually thinking or feeling. I think that's very powerful. That's like a another level of understanding and empathy. Yeah. I was just thinking it's like, like technological empathy. And I'm a type of person where I can really read people's energies, but I know that there's a lot of people that aren't like mm -hmm. that. Yeah. And, you know, people like zoom into a room where somebody's upset about something and they just immediately start going off. And it's like, read the room, you know, and if there's little bits of technology that might signal you know, like there's a person in here who is in distress or there's a trauma happening that could be very useful for a lot yes. of different industries. Yes. So bringing it back to music, you mentioned, you know, that you were having a hard time like landing on the sound. So what does it do kind of specifically? Like how do our brainwaves create an image or a graph or a photo? or some kind of, you know, visual representation of the sound. So basically, um, your brainwaves are, uh, can be at least broken down into different uh, frequencies. So usually the way EEG is presented is like different frequency bands of your brainwaves. And those bands will correspond or correlate to different frequencies in the frequency spectrum of whatever sound you're producing. So for example, if you think about your sine wave, your sine, you just have a fundamental um, and that's the only sound that is happening. So if you're either listening, so the thing about it is if you're listening or imagining a sound, it's the same brain response, mm. which makes sense. You know, it's, yeah. it's mirrored, but it's the same. It's a similar brain response that we can pair up and match. And so once we get the data signal of you, for example, listening to a sine wave and then uh, later on, you're just imagining the sine wave. We can see which band and which specific area that it's triggered in your brainwave. And that will then tell the computer, oh, this is a sine wave that they're thinking of, or it's this frequency specifically, and it'll generate that using the synth. And that's a lot of where the AI comes from. 
And the technology that we're building is really around this synthesizer that is able to read the brain and then pick out which frequencies and which parameters to adjust in order to recreate that sound. Wow, that is so wild. That's yeah. It's amazing. Is there anybody else that's doing this? Is it just you? At the moment, I mean, there's a some research going on in different areas because obviously timbre is not the only thing you can translate with brainwaves. There's people looking at translating notes, rhythms, even just expectation, like musical expectation of form, dynamics. So yeah, there's a lot of research going into this area right now. I wish there was more people. It's it's at the end of the day, it is still very much music creation centric, whereas I feel like there's a lot of potential in music therapy and wellness yes. for this kind of technology in the future, but it hasn't really been looked into yet. And I think as the technology develops and as the research develops, we'll see more and more interest um, in those fields coming together. I was actually thinking about people with dementia or Alzheimer's. Yeah. This seems like something that that might really help them if we could figure out what use these brainwave detectors, you know, the headphone type wearable things to understand what they are thinking about and what they do remember and what they hear, then we could create a state of peace and calmness for them. Yeah, exactly. That's yeah. Really and there's cool. even there's even been studies saying like listening to certain frequencies will slow down Alzheimer's and really? dementia. Yes. Wow. That's interesting. It's, it's amazing what it could actually, like, what music can do for our health, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Is that something that you study in, in school? And in, uh, in something I'm project? interested in, something I've been talking to a lot of researchers about through my synth and this project that I've been working on. And I do, I do think it's very beneficial. I'm a very spiritual person. I like to meditate with music. And so I really want to promote that kind of well-being and peacefulness when you're listening to music. Yeah, that's really cool. I would be really interested to do this too on people that have color synesthesia and mm -hmm. see what's going on inside their heads when you play music and they're like, this is purple. What does that wave look like versus the red wave and the yellow yeah. wave? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I think that would be really wild. I would like to see. I hope you write a book about all this someday. Put lots of pictures and graphs in it for those of us that <laughs> <laughs> that learn yes. visually. So, what's the status of my synth right now? So, I started the company in December of 2020. It's been about a year, and um, this past year we've developed an MVP. We built a team, and we started uh, kind of making connections within the industry uh, and building out our customer base. But right now. I will say with everything that is happening in the world at the moment, I am very conscious of the what I can do to contribute to, you know, people's well-being. And at this particular moment, my synth is not the first thing that is on my plate. I think there's a lot more to be done right now in terms of our wellness and um, stress, which is everything that is going on in the world. And so I am taking a step back from my synth, but it's something that I'm continuing to work on. You know, I'm still young. Like I see a future for this. I see a lot of potential for this project and I plan on carrying it out, you know, once the research picks up again or, you know, in the future when an opportunity arises. That's cool. What, 
what are you working on right now? Like what, what jumps to mind as the most pressing matter right now? Yeah. Right now I, so the first thing that I'm doing right now is a project that is unnamed actually. We're changing the name. Currently it's called TLR, the listening room. And it's a space for people to consciously practice listening, like deep listening, relax, meditate to music. I'm a huge audiophile, so it's all on vinyl. And we get people in a room together and they just get to experience this music, this tangible music with other people around them. And it's a very powerful experience. It's something I've been hosting a lot at my apartment with friends. And every single time people are always like, they come away from it with this immense feeling of gratitude and just connect between the people around them. So that's something I've been working on. That sounds really cool. Uh, Yes. And then the other project I'm working on, an art project with my friend right now, it's an installation. It's an immersive installation slash experience on sound pollution in New York City. Um, And we're focusing a lot on parks. So publicly funded versus privately funded parks in New York City and how sound pollution affects those areas. So. Yeah. So like if you go to a lot of parks in New York, like they're supposed to be built to enhance well-being in the community, you know, be a place for people to relax and escape to. But because they're so close to the city, because the city is so hectic, uh, a lot of the times these parks are actually very loud, not very calming. Yeah. And so we just want to kind of look at the difference between these parks and how they're built, where they're built and who has access to them. I think that's so interesting. I, it's honestly something I don't think I've ever thought about before. Something you take for granted when you don't live in New York City. <laughs> yes, we do. I do complain about the noise a lot. It's terrible. <laughs> it's like probably the biggest reason I didn't move there. Yeah. It's just too, it's all too much for me. Like It is. I'm a city girl. I, I ended up in Chicago, but... I mean, I'm in, I'm in the suburbs of Michigan now, but for a long time, I, I, the city that I chose to live in was Chicago, but Chicago's so big and spread out that you can get away from the downtown. Yeah. You can't really get away from it ever in New York. No, Maybe like it's the everywhere. other side of Brooklyn, but yeah. it's everywhere. Do you think that musicians in New York city have a harder time being heard because there's just so much going on all the time? I think it's the opposite. Um, I walk outside. I used to live near Washington Square Park, which is where NYU's main campus is. And I would walk outside. As soon as I walked outside, you would hear music from the park Uh, because there are so many performers in the park. And since it's such a big park too, there's designated, people sort of know like the designated performance spots. And so I'd walk over and I'd have like, my friend has a jazz band. So they play there all the time. I would go listen to them play jazz and then maybe walk to the other side of the park and there's a rock band or there's a pianist or there's another jazz band. Sometimes there's people doing drum circles or brass bands. And it's just so diverse and it's so cool to unexpectedly just walk into a concert basically every day and it's different people different music so it's I think it's great I think there's so many opportunities here um, for people and also people appreciate it like a lot of the times at least from my personal experience street performers in Toronto don't get a lot of attention and people kind of just walk by them. But in New York, people love it. People know how to appreciate the music. There's a ton of people who just sit down and watch and contribute. And it's 
really great. Like it's just such a great community. I love that. That's really awesome. That's great. Let's talk a little bit about your own songwriting. I would love to hear more about kind of your songwriting process. Do you usually write with people or alone? I usually write alone. I tend to work better in my own room um, here in this space right now. (laughs) Yeah. It looks very cozy. Yes, it is very cozy. I have my keyboard here, my mic, my interface, and I've got this big monitor. <laughs> yeah. yeah. What usually comes first, the melody or lyrics? I So right now, I, I guess I could preface with the music that is out right now is very much my singer-songwriter era. And I since started exploring other genres. So right now I have two albums out, First Love and Last Night Was the Last Night of My Past Life. And for those ones, I think of it as first love was definitely me learning how to produce. And that was, those were like the first songs I made t-shirt. The first song I put out was made in 2018. And I, at the time I didn't know how to make a, like make anything. I was just kind of putting stuff together in the DAW. So those albums are kind of me learning how to make songs. uh, And it really depended on where, what I was exploring at the time. That's what I used to start. But now I usually start with a concept, actually. A lot of, yeah. So a lot of my writing now isn't so much focused on the sonic aspects, although of course it does come to the sonic aspects, but I want to focus a lot on the concept, kind of exploring these ideas that, I think about in my head and turning that into music that I can share with people. I'm very much a philosopher and a thinker and a reader. So I think a lot about existentialism and ethics and that kind of stuff. So I really want to highlight that in my music. And once I have a general concept down, I'll think about ways to illustrate it. Um, I love ambient and soundscape type music, sonic artifacts and try to create some cool sounds and like effects from sort of raw sounds that I collect and resonate with. (laughs) That makes sense. Yeah, no, it totally makes sense. My friend, I got to give my friend Joel a a shout out on this episode because he just sent me a a record the other day that was made entirely with a washing machine. Oh, yes. So I can't remember the name of the artist off the top of my head, but I'll send it to you in an email. And that I I found on Instagram, it's called the food ensemble and they make songs with the sounds of cooking. So it'll be like chop, 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 chop. And like, you can hear bubbling, boiling water and like the scraping sound of pulling a knife across a cutting board. Things like that. Incredible. Yeah, it's called the Food Ensemble. They have like 16 monthly listeners or something like that. It's like nobody knows what it is, but it's so cool. (laughs) And I, I like, I can't stop listening to it. It kind of sounds like techno when you get right down to it, but it's a little bit slower and less like thumpy. Um, So I'm right here with you. I think this stuff is so cool. I'm curious. I wanted to ask you. You kind of started to go into it, but I want to ask, what's it? Can you give me an example? of a concept that you would like a philosophical concept that you are maybe working on right now or yeah so the album um I'm kind of working on two albums right now I'm scoring a uh, I'm rescoring a film called Mother Android uh okay. I think it's on Hulu and so I'm rescoring that and it was uh, a lot about like 
basically AI taking over in the future. And that's a concept that I'm very interested in, just like drones and AI taking over and killing everyone. So (laughs) one of the other songs on the album that I'm working on, which is called The Nothing In Between, uh, one of the songs is about what if Amazon bought all these drones, like these delivery drones, but then they started killing people, kind of like in the movie. Yeah, yeah, Um, yeah. And it's, it's called Bloodbath, and that whole song is basically about the fight between humans who are trying to survive and the drones that are hunting them down and killing them. <laughs> oh my gosh, I love it. That's so funny. <laughs> yeah. What, what does the music sound like? Should we take a listen? Yeah, heck yeah. So let's take a listen to Sinead's music. This is Bloodbath. That was a lot different than what I was expecting. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. 
Yeah, that was fun. We'll have to get you to the uh, Detroit Electronic Music Festival. Yes, I'm hoping to get more into that electronic scene for sure. Yeah, that was fun. That was fun. So that was bloodbath. About the Amazon drones taking over. Yeah. (laughs) I do worry about that. I especially worry about that because corporations are so intermingled with politics. And so if we were involved in an actual war, then I really worry that these corporations would be funding the war. I mean, Spotify funds cyber, cyber technology um, and cybersecurity. So wait, tell me more about that spot. So yeah, so Spotify is invested in a cybersecurity company, like an AI company that I believe works with the military. So that's interesting. Yeah. Interesting to see, wonder why Spotify is funding the military, but you know, as all corporations do. Yeah. And, and also private citizens and our elected officials are also, they hold stocks and have private investments into all sorts of things that we don't know about. There's a lot going on beneath the surface. Have you ever seen the show, Mr. Robot? No. Oh, you might like it. Yeah. You you might hate it. it. You might be like, no, it's (laughs) too real, but it's a pretty captivating show. I, it's the kind of thing where like, I watched it in real time. I waited every single week. It was the first thing we watched as soon as it was up. And when it was, as soon as it ended, I was like, I have to watch that again, just to kind of, but I needed, I needed a break because it's actually really intense. It's, it's basically about war politics and technology and finance politics between China and the U S and political leaders and how they Mm -hmm. um, kind of manipulate each other. Yeah. It's pretty wild, but yeah. It's a a good one. And that Remy Malik is just an amazing actor. I don't know if I said his name right, but Mm -hmm. Malik, maybe. But anyway, uh, what have you been listening to lately? Um, Ooh, well, I I do have to plug this. Um, My favorite artist of all time, Suzanne Ciani. She is a synth pioneer. And I, I recently saw her in concert um, oh. and she's amazing. I love her. She has her first two albums, especially are my favorite, Seven Waves and The Velocity of Love. These are from the 80s, oh, cool. <laughs> but nice. still classics. I love them. I've been listening to a lot of ambient electronic music lately, just because that's what I've been trying to dive into. I actually am also taking a music and spirituality class at the moment. And so we've been listening to a lot of Kirtan, Hindustani music, Persian music. Oh, cool. Yeah, kind of just exploring a lot of different genres that I normally wouldn't listen to and trying to find elements from those. That's neat. Maybe you can make us like a YouTube playlist or something. Yeah. Or drop it in the show notes. That would be really neat. Because this is so far outside of the realm of what most of my normal (laughs) guests listen to. So it would be really cool to to have a resource for it. So you mentioned the synth. You mentioned uh, playing synth a couple times now. So tell me a little bit more about your experience playing the synth and, you know, which one's your favorite and... Yeah, so I... Well, since I started as a pianist, I think synths was sort of a natural progression for me because the piano in some ways is somewhat limiting. 
I, I find the sound design aspect of music to be the most interesting. And so I was looking at different interfaces that I could design sounds with. And I think in 11th grade, my parents bought me the Rolly Seaboard blocks. And so it came with one keyboard. It was a 25 MIDI keyboard created by Rolly. And then there was a a drum pad block that you could program. And it's so it had all the pixels, but you could program it into whatever kind of pad you wanted it to be. And then there was a little control block to, you know, like play, pause, loop, whatever. Mm. And that became my favorite instrument of all time. It's portable. I started bringing it everywhere. It connects Bluetooth to my phone or my laptop. Wow. So I, I performed with it everywhere. I love doing these loop covers back in high school and I would sing to them. Uh, and it was a lot of fun. And then later on, now I use it a lot for just composing. I love it because the thing about the seaboard block that's different from normal keyboards or synthesizers is that it um, has 5D touch, which means that it's, I like to call it the squishy keyboard. Here, I can actually show it. So it's like a black block and it's all, I think it's like, I don't know what's under here, but it's like squishy. And so yeah. I could do like vibrato if I sort of wiggle oh, my cool. finger. I could do slides that'll change the pitch. Oh, I could slide cool. to other notes. Oh, cool. And it bends and it reacts to all of those little movements that you do. That's really uh, neat. So it's much more expressive. Like I, my favorite thing to do on here is shred, like put on a guitar patch and just start shredding because I can't play the guitar, Yeah. but it sounds just like it on the Rolly. That's really yeah. neat. Do you have any videos of you doing that? Yes, I do. Oh, I um, definitely want to share those. Yeah, I will send that to you. Oh, that's really neat. Awesome. Awesome. Well, this has been absolutely fantastic. Is there anything else that you kind of wanted to talk about? No, I think that's all. Um, if you're interested in ambient electronic music, like gearhead stuff, I'm always looking to meet people to talk about synths and nerd out with. So, yeah. yeah, I do have one friend that you can follow. His name is Galen Bundy. It's mm -hmm. G A L E N B U N D Y. He's on Instagram and mm. and he messes around with all kinds of synths. We have Amazing. kind of a, not, I wouldn't say it's a huge, like modular synth community here in Michigan, but I definitely know a handful of people that are playing around with machines that are like as big as my closet doors, <laughs> you know, and I yeah. have no idea what all those buttons and dials even do, but they make some cool sounds. Definitely. So that's one of the nice things about, you know, being in Detroit, like the home of techno. I watched this really cool documentary called, I think it was called What We Started. And it was about electronic music. And they talked about how Detroit techno was really originally created and I would say sound designed to reflect the assembly line. Yes. So if you play some early techno against a video of a Ford factory assembly line, they're like not that far off wow. sonically. Yeah, it's really neat, neat documentary. So yeah, that's the other thing that I love about electronic music is that it the genre is so diverse, like there's so many things you could do with it that it's very influenced by the culture and the location that it's in. So like I love, for example, like I'm going to Berlin later this year, um, like German 
uh, electronic music is very different from Japanese electronic music. And even in America, we have the West Coast electronic scene, the East Coast electronic scene, and we have um, like Detroit, Chicago. And it's all different. And that's what's amazing about it because there's so many possibilities. Yeah, even Detroit and Chicago are really different. They talk about that in the documentary, how Chicago was so much more disco and house and like brought in that like extra funk element that Detroit was like kind of specifically leaving out. I, I lived in Chicago. I was like heavily involved in the Chicago house music scene for a while so that was fun awesome well it's been so great chatting with you I think everything that you're doing is so interesting you have a supporter in me please keep me posted on everything and I would love for any of my listeners that are intrigued by all this stuff to reach out to Sineda and yeah partner up with her so you guys can you know use brainwaves to help people yes That's what we want to do, right? Help people. Yes, for sure. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming. When Songs Mean Business is a production of Steph Belcher Business Management, LLC. This episode was hosted, edited, and produced by me, Steph Belcher. Please make sure to join us in our Facebook group, When Songs Mean Business, and follow us on Instagram at When Songs Mean Business. As always, thank you to The Dropout for the break music. Thank you so much for listening and have a wonderful day.